Hey everybody, this is Powerful Brandon coming at you from Comics Paradox, the podcast where we talk about alternate reality takes and tales such as Elseworlds and What Ifs, as well as story arcs and storylines like Armageddon 2001, The Age of Apocalypse, or Amalgam Comics even. Uh, We'll get to those, don't worry, eventually. But uh, joining me tonight, a couple fellas who are pretty much always here joining me for these episodes. Uh, First up, we have Mr. Leo Pond. Ah, switching it up. Hey, how's it going? How's it feel? (laughs) Deal with it, Pond. Uh, doing, doing, doing okay, doing okay. Excellent. And, of course, second, but definitely not least, but still second, is Justin Cooper. How's it going, Justin? Uh, it's going well. I'm here, uh, you know, ready to talk some Superman on this Superman podcast. Don't Wait a minute. do that. I mean... <laughs> I know. Listen, everybody, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're like, what's with all the Superman? Like, I, I literally just said that. He's got there. great stories. He does have some good stories. And, you know, part of it is like a lot of the Elseworlds from What If actually are very Batman heavy. And so I'm really like trying to keep from getting to those before too long. I'm going to I'm going to intersperse uh, more What Ifs and some other alternate tales before we, we come back to the DC well. Um, so, you know, if anybody out there is listening and you're getting tired of Superman, first of all, you're wrong. Secondly, uh, we we will vary it up very soon. And well, also technically, is this a Superman book? Well, I mean, the name of it is Superman yeah, Speeding it's... Bullets. Choose your hero. Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. We have very active lifestyles. It's not all wandering the countryside aimlessly or scaring passing motorists. We all love a good cup of joe. And there's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. Bold, robust, delicious. It's coffee that can wake the dead. (laughs) With over a dozen different roasts and flavors, Deadly Grounds can satisfy the most finicky of coffee addicts. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting. The Dorkening and all affiliated shows are not intended for anyone under the age of 18. The following may contain discussions or scenes that have adult situations, graphic violence, nudity, strong sexual content, and graphic language. This show is intended for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. So, yeah, but I'll tell you this, this is my favorite comic book writer. So that is uh, Superman's your favorite comic book writer? I didn't no, know uh, J.M. DiMatteis <laughs> is uh, my number one pick for favorite comic book writer of all time. So really? Absolutely. Without a doubt. I, I enjoy his stuff greatly. Uh, what, what's something else you would recommend from him? Uh, JLI, Justice League International. Formerly known as the Justice League. Formerly known, yeah. Um, that's a great one. Uh, Craven's Last Hunt, he did. Um I oh, yeah. did a good well, portion of yeah. Maximum Carnage. You know, uh, uh, he did one called, I want to say, Moon Shadow. Uh, Moon Shadow? Yeah, yeah, Moon, Moon Shadow. Uh, let's like see. the fucking Cat Stevens song? Like the Cat Stevens <laughs> song, yep. He's being followed by it, so. Uh, 
there was um there was one that i i talked to him on um on a zoom call for uh the uh the hero initiative and and he he uh recommended it it was um the lives and times of savior 28 and basically it's what happens when a superhero decides to start fighting crime by not just punching the supervillain in the face you know by becoming oh. an activist and and um, oh i thought you were gonna say like kidney punches yeah <laughs> the rabbit punch yeah <laughs> but it's it's really cool and it's like you can see like the influences on those things in books like like irredeemable or the boys and stuff like that where it's like what happens if they take these different tactics and all that because you know you can't fight the powerful superheroes and stuff so it sounds it's, sounds very much in line with invincible by robert kirkman yep it um similar notes to that as well sure nothing wrong with that nothing you know that's that's cool oh, Kirk, in my kirkman's book. got all kinds of uh influences too like like with uh dc and marvel so his stuff's always in, enjoyable to read. Yeah, I mean, especially when you boil down, oh, Invincible. So what if you mashed up Superboy and Spider-Man? Got it. Got it. <laughs> Another amalgam creation, Spider-Boy. Yeah, right? <laughs> Spider-Boy. The Arachnid's at it again. You know, there is an Invincible and Spider-Man crossover. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I saw that. True. Yeah, I never I think, read it. Uh, didn't Ryan Otley do the art for that too, or... Uh, I believe so. Yeah, uh, I have it. I just need to. I need to actually. If you look at a couple of different issues of uh, Invincible, there's uh, technically another crossover within its pages a couple times. Savage uh, Dragon. Uh, oh yeah, that's one of them. Is well, but I mean that's overt. That's that's uh, pretty that overt because Savage Dragon is a character in Image Comics. Uh, no, the Venture Brothers. No kidding. Yes, there's a a, a, a panel where. Um, Mark takes his younger brother Oliver to uh, go get hot dogs at this like place in Hawaii or something like that. He's like, "Oh, Dad brought me here once. It's like they make the best or something like that." And sitting down at the table eating hot dogs from the same place are Doctor Rusty Venture and Brock Samson. Oh, that's so cool! Yeah, first time I saw it, I was like, "What the?" F-? And I believe that one of them or some other Venture Brother character shows up at some other point in the series as well. So I hope it was, was- Underbite. <laughs> Baron von Unterweit. But uh yeah, that I was I was over the moon because um that's that's a fantastic uh show from Adult Swim which was uh canceled too soon. I I guess we're getting a movie follow up on HBO Max. So anybody listening to this for alternate takes and tales, uh just take a second and find the Venture Brothers because if oh, yeah. that's, you love that totally pop culture <laughs> you like pop culture and comic books and movies and television shows and music, it's all there and mashed together and amalgamated and you're going to find all kinds of pastiches and analogs for any number of pop culture, science fiction, hero, whatever fiction uh, that that has endured over the past 40 to 50, maybe even 70 years. So, yeah, there's that. Um but yeah, James Dematteis is a very, very talented creator. Um, he has done an awful lot with some very big characters, and he's been around for forever and a day. I mean, guys, what going on forty years in the industry? I believe. Yeah, I would say that. I, I think he had some early, early eighties work, maybe late seventies if possible. But I think he came on the scene right after Chris Claremont. I would say. Yeah, uh, and. He was definitely a breath of fresh air uh, in the 80s going into the 90s because there was a lot of grim and gritty going on everywhere. And he is the one, I mean, like you like you said, Justin, he he came in with Justice League International um, mm-hmm. working with uh, Keith Giffen. Yeah, yep. Keith Giffen. Yeah. Um, and they, <laughs> they created a Justice League that absolutely nobody saw coming. I mean... 
what Martian Manhunter, Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, uh, Mister Miracle. Yeah, and uh, Black Canary, Guy Gardner. Was Captain Adam part of it too initially? And Captain Marvel was on it for a bit. Yeah, but it was a very like. Uh, Captain Adam was there uh, for the the formerly known as the Justice League, and yeah. then when it got to Justice League Europe, so down the road, yeah. him and Huntress and Power Girl and. Oh yeah, Power Girl. That's right. Yeah, and the the thing that actually made it different at that point in time was the fact that they they focused and were very self aware of their like weird powers and and bright colored costumes. Um, it was in in stark juxtaposition to all the all the Alan Moore esque and Frank Miller esque stuff that had been influenced over the past several years until that point. So you know they brought some fun cheeky goofiness back to comic books, which had been sorely lacking. Like still taking it seriously but being able to poke fun at itself and they um, gave batman a sense of humor which is i think that's that where i rarely happened i think justice league international was my first exposure to the character of nort <laughs> yeah everyone's uh the uh, favorite green lantern i actually have his action figure so <laughs> yeah the uh the world the universe's worst green lantern nort basically if you've ever seen space balls it's like barf with a green lantern ring that's... that is accurate yes barf i'm a mog i'm my own best friend <laughs> actually the uh funniest uh panel i read with with uh batman i can't remember the book it was actually uh clark kent posing as batman and uh deathstroke was trying to kill him and poisoned him <laughs> it actually gave clark kent uh well cal cal l superman uh, yes yeah, superman <laughs> uh made him drunk and oh that must have been a fun experience for him it, hey man what was too. in that dark can i get like three more <laughs> uh it's just a uh, drunk you know uh cal l bruce wayne uh fighting deathstroke and it's absolutely freaking hilarious and it's like deathstroke like wondering like what the fuck is going on here you know <laughs> this is not i, like, to I love like people do. catch deathstroke unaware you know <laughs> it doesn't happen often but when it does it's a big deal yeah yeah, there was there was a a book. I can't remember which one it was. I honestly cannot. It might have been. Maybe it was Identity Crisis. I I can't remember. You but, were t- oh, I know what you're talking about. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, Deathstroke straight up goes up against like several of the individuals from the Justice League, and they're doing like the <laughs> yeah, they're they're doing the the block um uh exposition. So it's just like third person omniscient uh, explaining things about Deathstroke, like kind of translating urban myth about him amongst the superhero and supervillain community. And um, one of the things they say as the panels are showing uh, Wally, I think it's Wally West, might be Barry Allen, but no, showing the, Wally at that time. Yeah. yeah, showing Wally the Flash just starting to book it right at Deathstroke, and the pan, the the block is saying they say that Deathstroke can actually move with superhuman speed for approximately a second, and if you can move that fast for one second, that's more than enough time than, than for what you need to do, and it just shows shows him actually move at super speed the split second before the flash grabs him and he just grabs the flash and slams his face down fucking full force into the ground 
And I was like, oh, shit. Like that right there, like more than anything else I had ever seen, proves to me beyond the shadow of a doubt how badass Deathstroke the Terminator is slash can be. And um, well beyond anything from Teen Titan, New Teen Titans and, and all that. Uh, it, he, he was utilized very well in, in that comic. Like oh, that, That is a book to read. Like to any listener who's never read Identity Crisis, buckle up. You know, it's like, wow. They're yeah, going to break I mean, your heart like four times in that book. Yeah. And I mean, there is some there is some pretty heady stuff uh, in it. So, you know, just be be forewarned. It's it's not something like that you would want anyone less than high school age reading, honestly. Um, And not to give any plot points away, but it does involve um, the sexual assault of a character. It's not shown per se, but it is talked about. It is a big part of what they come to in the story. Uh, so, you know, I just want want to put that out there in case anybody um, gets triggered by it or anything when they're reading and they didn't see it coming. I don't I don't want anyone to be taken aback by that. Um, and that's I, I that's think not that might actually be on the the like the back of the book jacket. <clears throat> Okay, like what you're saying. So, but yeah, it that. is it is an excellent excellent story. It was written by Brad Meltzer. Um, he he's an excellent uh, author, novelist, and he played around in the DC pool for a little bit. Uh, it was it's, such a fun time when he played around here. Oh, it yeah. was seven issues, and um, I I actually left. Uh, the trade out on my my coffee table at my mother's house years ago and my my younger sister she saw and she was like oh identity crisis what's this and she started reading it from page one and she couldn't put it down and she came to me and she was like is is this what superhero comics are now because I want to read more of them and I was like (laughs) kind of and I can help you with that so it just goes to show you somebody who was just like tangentially aware of these characters picked up that book and was engrossed immediately and wanted to know oh, more. so good yeah yeah um but anyway back back to what we're doing here um superman speeding bullets uh written by jmd mateus and uh illustrated by eduardo barreto and uh the cover here is a recreation of superman number one from the 30s uh and uh, the main character is in the same sort of uh knee up um mid-air position with uh, left hand up and right hand extended, uh, much like you saw Superman on the cover. But <clears throat> instead, this character is wearing a variation of Batman's costume. Uh, main difference is the yellow field around the bat is pentagonal shaped, much like Superman's symbol. And the bat fills out that space a little bit more elongated on the sides. Uh, and the, the belt for Batman's utility items is clearly there more just for show than anything else because uh, if this is indeed a guy with Superman's powers, he doesn't really need any kind of gadgets to help him along. And uh, I thought this was a cool concept uh, for the costume. The cowl comes to a full face mask. It does not leave his uh, his lower face exposed at all. It completely conceals his identity when he is dressed as Batman. Um, and as you may surmise, considering the imagery and the name of the book Superman Speeding Bullets uh, this is a story that deals with uh, the question of what would have happened if Kal-El had been rocketed to Earth from the doomed planet Krypton and when he landed did not find himself arriving in a field in Smallville, Kansas to be found by Martha and Jonathan Kent but rather just outside the Gotham City limits and he is found by Martha and Thomas Wayne and we go through 
the same sort of story point, you know, the, the ship comes crashing down, you know, burning fire out of the sky and the Wayans approach the, uh, the vessel, which is still very much in the John Byrne uh, post-crisis design. And they see that it's a little boy and they, you know, of course, Martha Wayne, very much like Martha Kent is like, it's a baby. It's our baby now. His name's going to be Bruce. And Thomas is like, uh, I'm a doctor and I'm pretty sure that thing is not a baby. You need to put it back. <laughs> and she's like, nope, we're going home. He's like, well, fuck me. I guess we're not going to the play. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and, um, you know, Alfred's there because he's he's their, their butler, their concierge, whatever you want to say. And uh, they go back to the manor. They adopt him as Bruce and raise him as Bruce. And, you know, everything is is pretty much the way we know it from Bruce Wayne's childhood um, with his parents. You know, he he's a smart kid. Um, they are very good and kind to him. They teach him um, and they, they teach him about respect and, and, you know, foster a love of learning in him. And then one night they go out to see a movie. And as they come out of the movie theater, there's a dickhead in a scally cap and a striped shirt, like, you know, villains wear in these things. And he, he demands to have, uh, you know, any money or jewels or pearl necklaces some people might be wearing. And um, he proceeds to shoot, you know, smack around and then shoot and kill both uh, Martha and Thomas Wayne, leaving Bruce alone in the alley next to his dead parents. But wait, there's a difference this time, guys. <gasps> there is. There is. Do you know what happens? Well, first off, uh, he decides to shoot the kid as of... What, yeah. what didn't happen to Bruce? Yeah, well, Joe Chill uh, decides like he doesn't like the sound of a kid. Yeah, Joe, no chill. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Zero Chill. Yeah, he uh, he decides he just he hates it when kids cry, and a dead kid is better than a crying kid, apparently, <laughs> or so Joe thought. And he shoots young Bruce Wayne directly in the middle of his chest, and then Bruce looks down through tear streaked eyes and realizes he is not hurt, and he looks at Joe Chill and says, I hate you, and uses his heat vision for the first time ever and fries Joe Chill alive. And uh, and he just kind of suppresses everything, and it becomes your very, by the books, Bruce Wayne crying over his parents' dead body scene. The cops show up. He's there between them. And, you know, they the cops actually make notice that the kid, Bruce Wayne, just keeps saying over and over again, the bullets, the bullets, the bullets. And because of that, Bruce just kind of locks himself away he um he basically becomes agoraphobic he he doesn't really go out in public he doesn't deal with anybody other than than alfred and uh we just go from seeing him sitting down as a young man shortly after this ordeal to you know pretty much staying in the same spot all the time in the manor and we see him go through his teen years and now he's clearly a, a man in his mid to late 20s maybe early 30s and, did you uh, expect him like I did to say burn, you know, like uh, when Superman shot Mongol when he gave him the Black Mercy? And um... I did. 
I, I totally expected him to just go burn, you know, and it was like, ah, but you know something? It wouldn't have made sense for him to say it because the yeah, kid I know. didn't it's, even know he had the powers. It's just but, a cool illusion, but I just like, oh man, it brought me right back to that black mercy. It's very similar the way the panels are set up and how it closes in on his face while his eyes are glowing red right before the burst. So like there's definitely symmetry between those two scenes without there's so a doubt. much mood established too. It's it's such a, a striking panel. Yeah. Uh, it's it's interesting to note too that when he does actually hit Joe Chill with the the heat vision, the heat vision is the only thing that's illuminating what we can see in the alley. There is nothing else that would be able to show what it is that we're viewing. Mm-hmm. Everything is red and 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 glowing from that. And once that finishes up, that's when it, it dies back down to being absolutely dark. And the next bit of light you see is when the police roll up in their crew. And instead of being a street lamp, it's their headlamps that are illuminating the dead Wayans with their son over them. And um, they they mention here that Joe Chill is dead. Like they oh, found yeah. him like badly burnt, disfigured in the in the alley like a day later or something. Yeah, and they can't. They have no explanation. It's just okay. Well, another scumbag's dead. You know. Um, and you know, Bruce is is just living his life at home, not doing anything, not having anything to do with anyone. Um, and he's opening up the newspaper and it's important to see uh, on the front page of the Gotham Gazette that he's reading uh, that it says, uh, Luther comes to Gotham one year after his near fatal accident, famed industrial, uh, what is it? Industrial uh, industrialist emerges from seclusion. Uh, so Lex Luthor is clearly uh, an entity that we will be seeing a bit more of. Uh, all the while, Bruce is just lamenting uh, the state of the world that he refuses to go out into. He's His whole worldview has been formed by that one night, much like Batman from our regular universe. Um, however, he, he retreats from it, saying like, I, I hate it. I don't want anything to do with the world. You know, it's just, it's nothing but blood and madness, violence and death. Um, and he he really he feels this with every fiber of his being, you know, deep down in his soul. He really does hate how the world is, and he he still has that what he perceives to be a feeling of powerlessness because he he doesn't quite understand what happened that night that his parents were killed altogether, why it happened, and what happened as a result. And we see him step into a room he he has clearly been sort of making. Uh, for quite some time that is just plastered with horrible items from the news about cops being shot and teachers being stabbed and dying and school knifings and, you know, a family found slain in Gotham Heights. And he just feels like every sound of, of just human misery throughout the streets of Gotham is pouring into his head and he just can't handle it. Of course, we understand that likely that's true. It's not figurative. He is in a Inadvertently using his super hearing and hearing all of this stuff going on in Gotham City. But he has he has he just thinks he's sort of losing his mind, which is something in and of itself. I mean, imagine having these abilities, but no idea that you've had them for years. You would tend to think that you were you were going nuts, especially if something like that was happening regularly. Um, and in this instance, uh, because he's, he's a rich recluse, essentially, uh, people feel like they could probably go in there and 
maybe find some cool stuff to fence. And a couple of guys break in to Wayne Manor and they attempt to uh, hold Alfred hostage um threaten his life um while bruce sees them catches them and confronts them and as they're basically getting ready to take alfred out bruce just kind of snaps and he calls them you know stinking murdering animals and he goes at one of the guys and just gives him a, a backhand and <laughs> goes flying like 20 feet out the second floor window and and just like clearly he had to have broken his neck when he landed on the ground there's no way he survived that and um the other guy has a friggin uzi that's what he was gonna murk alfred with and uh like you do you know yeah why not well, like, you know bring, the 90s i mean bring the it's, uzi it's to the automatic man. weapon and uh they shoot at bruce and you know they the bullets hit him and bounce off and Bruce is just like you can't kill me the bullets can't hurt me but I can hurt you and he gets to the Uzi and crushes it around the burglar's hand and um there's a, just a very minimal like onomatopoeia it's just yeah but the way they drew the guy's mouth um and it's just a close up of him in the mask he's using to conceal his identity while he's performing the the theft it's uh yeah <laughs> you you get the sense that this was uh, definitely the most painful thing that this guy has ever felt in his entire life. <laughs> I can imagine. And in the midst of this, Bruce says, just like I hurt the other one, just like I hurt. And his eyes start to glow and become red and the energy starts pouring from around the, the corners of them. And he realizes what's about to happen. He actually turns his gaze to the fireplace inside of the manor and lights up the logs inside and starts getting visions of what Joe Chill looked like when he zapped him with his heat vision as a kid. And, you know, he starts, everything comes flooding back, just, you know, realizing like the other one, oh my God, I remember my parents, Alfred, I, I could have saved them. And what am I? And of course, Alfred's just like, oh, messed away. And I believe the answer is down here. And he brings him to a cave filled with bats <laughs> under the manor, a bat cave of sorts. And um, Thomas Wayne, being the doctor and scientist that he was, he kept the ship that, that they found young Bruce in and um, kept a journal. And it turns out a lot of what Thomas was doing with Bruce as he was growing up was keeping track of him and making sure that he was, you know, wasn't going to be like a bright burn situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's a that's a fair, a very fair assessment to make um, because nobody wants that. We don't want an evil kid with those. Yeah, powers. That kid was a we, jerk. <laughs> we also just don't want another fucking movie like that. Like, do better, okay? But uh, what you don't want an evil Superman? I, movie? I liked Brightburn. I'm I'm just gonna say it. I don't need to see more of Brightburn. Like no. that was just enough to get the point across. Uh, but... There was some serious logic faults in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> serious logic falls like okay listen the guy the sheriff or whatever he had never seen brandon make that double bb symbol not once the only person we ever see who looks who sees him do that is his own mother and he like f somehow realizes he should breathe on the glass in the restaurant and sees that symbol and immediately he's like i have to go talk to brandon and it's like why what about that tells you you need to go talk to that kid like there's nothing there indicating this fucking like 13 year old stop it like it was just a dumb logic leap but regardless of that movie <laughs> he killed badger <laughs> um but yeah this this is interesting he's in the back cave and he's just read all this stuff about you know where he's from the the journals and how he was found and he's you know freaking out and he looks up in the cave and he says there's my answer alfred up there 
swirling in the darkness. Can you see them? Can you see my brothers? No, of course you can't, but I can. I can see things, hear things that no one else can. I can spread my wings and fly through the shadows of the night. There's so much I can do that I've never let myself know I can do. I've hidden so much of my own power for myself as punishment for that little boy's crimes. But I'm not punishing myself anymore, Alfred. I know myself at last. So clearly he's decided that he's Batman in this this scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm hoping anyway. Uh, otherwise, you know, he's just going to be hanging around with bats all the time. <laughs> it's a weirdly affectionate relationship he has with them. Uh, and, you know, then we, we kind of see like a cityscape scene. We we have uh, a couple of Jamokes who apparently they both survived their uh, encounter with Bruce Wayne at Stately Wayne Manor. And uh, they are talking to a purple gloved, um, well, likely purple suited individual who um, is saying that they're very disappointed in these two guys. And the figure manages to uh, get behind them and then grab them both by their throats and throw throttle them until they uh, die from asphyxiation. And the last thing we see is green eyes with a giant lipstick red smile with a whole lot of laughter. Who could that be? I mean, sounds like a real, real jokester to me, guys. I don't know. The jokester, <laughs> great, and uh, that that brings maybe us it's to a, a trickster. Oh wait, <laughs> oh jeez, uh, that brings us to two two months later, and uh, there's a there's a guy who's decided to post up on the top of a, a tenement, and he's got a like a in, what an AR seventeen or something like that, AR fifteen, and um, that's when you know the cops, the SWAT team's all down on the the ground trying to figure out how to take this guy out, and uh, then we have a nice big splash page that is a dark silhouetted costumed man uh looking very similar to a bat um it's actually a it's a very well done uh shot and it's kind of like the the shot of the book i think this one yeah well fair enough i mean it's either yeah the yeah it, for, this, you know yeah i think i think there's i think i think there's two i think there's three images in this entire thing um from front yeah, to back. i i know probably the other two you're thinking of like yeah, th- this is a, an awesome looking shot, though. It really cool. is. It, 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 I know this sounds strange, but it reminds me of Batman '89, like the movie. Oh, I Batman can see that. Yeah, Tim Burton. Um, there's just something about like all the steam rising around and the fact that it's done in purplish tones instead of like gray and charcoal black. Um, it just it's very befitting of of that sort of uh, neo deco kind of thing that Tim Burton was was a fan of, and that Joel Schumacher just ran into the ground with his movies. See, I was gonna say the more um, the McFarlane Batman. Okay. No, with so, the cape, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, the, I I get the uh, Batman versus Predator. The uh, oh uh, yeah, that too. Hubert, yeah, uh, Andy Hubert vibe. Yeah, Especially you know what? It's, the ridges on the costume definitely add yeah, to that as they're, well. They're really neat. Yeah, they are. They they are very cool. Um, I this, do. This would I, be a great action figure if they ever make one. Oh, that'd yeah. be phenomenal. I think that the. The probably will. Sim- <laughs> the symbol itself actually could have used a little bit more tweaking, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I do like the fact, I, I appreciate that in that shot, <laughs> you can actually see that he actually has like one of his eyebrows raised. <laughs> if oh, you yeah. look at yeah. his left eyebrow, he's just like, hmm. Um, and he's there to stop this guy and he shoots at this bat costumed man and nothing happens. And uh, the guy just assumes he's wearing a flak jacket and then he 
throws an actual fucking grenade at him. <laughs> and uh, Batman takes the grenade and just holds it in between both of his hands, crushes it, and boom, contains the entire explosion within two palms. And, this guy uh, totally looks like a hippie to me, too. Like, Oh, for sure. You know, he looks like a hippie with a gun. You're like, something doesn't add up here. Yeah, yeah his name is Mick Johnson, but he definitely looks like a Randy. <laughs> <laughs> Like he, he looks he looks like a like a I'm like when I say Randy I mean like a Randall like guy who you're gonna know his like first middle and last name by the time all of this is done. Is oh, Jeffrey? not not uh, are you Randy, baby? <laughs> <laughs> Just some bloke up the street. Just some Jeffrey. <laughs> like it, you know, it's not even it's not Randall. It's Rancourt. Like his <laughs> it's not it's not a nickname uh, for what you would assume. Rancourt, like Randall Marshall. Well, oh, oh, I thought you said Rancor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Rancor. Yeah. Well, he does stop him by getting him to chew on a bone and then traps him under a gate <laughs> for a portocollis. So. Very similar to how Jedis would defeat a Rancor without a weapon. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and then, you know, does like a very... Ten points for using the word portocollis in this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh he he does a very batman move uh next he takes the the perpetrator or would-be perpetrator of this crime and throws him directly over the side of the building <laughs> now considering this is a batman without uh gadgets he does not shoot down a cable to wrap around his ankle, which would absolutely snap it, but keep him from uh, hitting the ground. He flies down and catches the guy at the last second. So he sees his life flash before his eyes and then just drops him in the middle of where the cops are and uh, then flies off into the night. And the next day, uh, one of the headlines is flying Batman stops Midtown Sniper. And uh, we see that uh, this particular issue um, cop of this issue of the Gotham Gazette is in front of Lex Luthor, uh, in front of a very long executive table, uh, likely some kind of board meeting or what have you. And uh, he's meeting with uh, individuals from Wayne Enterprises because uh, he is planning on buying them out of uh, all their assets and uh, making it part of his LexCorp empire. And uh, just as he feels, you know, it looks like everybody's on board to sign the paperwork and get everything in his name. Uh, in walks a sunglassed Bruce Wayne, uh, wearing a very smart trench coat, scarf, and sweater vest ensemble. Yeah, wearing his with, sunglasses at night, almost. <laughs> his sunglasses inside, like a fucking douchebag. Good job. Um, like, Bruce, you are powered by the sun. You're an unstoppable Superman of sorts. I don't think the sun is bothering your eyes as much as you'd like us to believe but okay and um he continues to wear them for this entire exchange um and Corey he, uh, what's that yeah, Corey yeah. <laughs> and uh it's a joke for all the people over 40 yeah, right <laughs> And he uh, very directly tells Lex Luthor, like, oh, uh, yeah, you're um, you're not you're not going to be buying my company. I didn't give permission for this buyout and uh, I'm I'm putting an end to it right now. So get your ass out of here. This is the stinky boot. And of course, uh, Lex Luthor is livid, as well as the the board members there that were ready to just sign everything over. And, and this, uh, this exact scene, almost without the Lex Luthor, it's just picture it with Rutger Howard, or Rutger Hauer. 
is in um, Batman Begins. Yeah, like, I was about almost to say. word for word. That's that's the scene, and I feel like they pulled it directly from this book. Yeah, I mean, it, it is it is straight up what we see happen when when Bruce Wayne is declared legally dead in Batman Begins, and how he has to fight to make sure that his family's company stays, you know, with his family's name. Um, and Lex is is incensed, and he actually like grabs Bruce's um trench coat, you know, and he's just like, you know, you're 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 fucking my shit up. <laughs> Like this is, I have plans here, you pipsqueak. And, uh, you know, Bruce says like, you know, I, I read with great compassion about the explosion at your chemical factory last year and how you almost died and kept yourself hidden away. And then you finally emerged from your seclusion and resumed your life in the world. I truly respect your courage. I hope you can respect mine because this is Bruce rejoining. This is him saying like, you know what? I do care. And now I have the power to do something about it. Um, so that does line very much, you know, up with Batman insofar as we know him. Like once he acquired the skills and what have you necessary to fight the fight he wanted to in Gotham City, that's when he became part of society again. And uh, part of Bruce's new leaf that he's turning over with involvement in s- sort of uh, social slash corporate social responsibility is um, making sure that the Gotham Gazette is a trustworthy and reliable source of information for citizens. Uh, he he didn't want it to become like the Daily Planet, which Lex Luthor had purchased in this book, uh, and turned it into you know basically a, a rag, uh, just you know something for propaganda and to keep uh, people thinking that Lex Luthor was the hottest thing since the first loaf of bread came out of an oven. And uh, you know we we get him in here, and he meets Perry White, who he hired as his editor, and uh, then the reporter that Perry made sure to bring over from metropolis lois lane and uh right away for some reason bruce wayne is just absolutely like flustered and nervous as hell around lois and goes like full-on christopher reeve clark kent just becomes a klutz <laughs> yeah. and nugs oh geez lois sorry about spilling your coffee and uh just you know makes himself seem very affable and inapproachable more so than he has appeared at any other point in the story because you know up until this point he was just kind of a sad sad man and uh, I just want to point out for the maybe younger readers, the woman in the top panel, the blonde, that Catherine. is a, that is a uh, cellular device that she is holding. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't hold that yeah. next to your head. You've got the cancer. Zach Morris uh, phone from uh, Saved by the Bell. Out. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, who she reminds me of somebody from like the – Late '80s, early Brigitte '90s. Nielsen. Who was it? Well, I was thinking Nielsen. of the the other cop. Brigitte, yes, yes, Turpin. yes. That's it, Brigitte Nielsen. Yeah, from Rocky IV. That's yeah, yeah, absolutely. And from um, the movie Cobra. Yep. Yeah. All right, Rocky Four. Good times. <laughs> the almost, the almost She Hulk. Uh, Red Sonja. Oh yeah, Red, Red Sonja. That's right, Red Sonja. That's a great movie. Let's see. So oh. yeah, she she reminds me a little bit there of uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. That's what I'm picking up on. And... Jamie Lee Curtis dressed like her mom for Halloween. No, 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 no. Jamie Lee Curtis from um uh, what the fuck is Fish that? Called Wanda? No. Uh where she was the hooker. True lies. The hooker. Oh, trading places. Trading places. Trading places. Yep. Yeah, because she was wearing a wig. She had short hair. Yep. Well, she had short hair in like everything. <laughs> wow. She she's been rocking the short haired look for she a had long, long hair time. In the mist. She wasn't in the mist. Or what, what, the fog. Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> like <laughs> like the mist. Are you thinking of Melissa McBride? <laughs> I mean, she does have short hair and everything, but no. <laughs> 
Yeah, but she gives she gives me that that uh, old school Jamie Lee Curtis. Like if you you look at her, she looks like wow, this is like Halloween H two O cover. You know, J- Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, that's I I get that. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, I like um, it. <laughs> Just yeah, no, I know. And I, the uh, the shoulder pads are incredibly stylish for the time. Well, they were certainly a choice for the time. <laughs> you can say that. Um, the only thing bigger than men's shoulder pads at that point in time were women's shoulder pads. <laughs> And, uh, you know, from from that scene in the middle of the bullpen at uh, Gotham Gazette, uh, we have Lois Lane uh, leaving the building, uh, walking across uh, one of the busy streets there in the center of town. And she's approached by Lex Luthor in his limousine and he rolls down the window from his back seat, And uh, he's just like, you know, being slimy as you would imagine Lex Luthor to be. And she's like, oh, Lois, <laughs> what a coincidence. Can I offer you a ride? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, how about no, dickhead? And you know he's like, "Come on, just just come with me. I'll, I'll make sure you get home safe." And she's like, "Oh, how could I refuse?" And I mean, then she does get into his limousine because it's fucking winter and she doesn't want to walk home. It's Gotham. I. I kind of get it. You know, devil, you know, is better than the devil you don't. Uh, but Batman is uh, watching and listening to this entire exchange. He's uh, he's trying to he's trying to get a bead on what's what's happening with this Luther guy. And uh, we proceed to get a little bit of an exchange between Lois and Lex. This is a necessary scene for exposition, of course. Um, and they they clearly knew each other from when they were both in Metropolis and his buyout of the Daily Planet. And, you know, he, basically we find out that uh, she wrote she wrote about him and he tried suing her and uh, the publication uh, for libel and he lost and uh, he's still bitter about it because he thinks that you know he had, you know she tarnished his good name like everybody thought he was he was the greatest and it's because of her that you know he's he's basically like dog shit and she's just like okay so you're just like trying to save your reputation by buying up all these news publications what are you stupid and he's like no 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 I'm I'm just trying some new things like I I had that accident and when you face death you you know it changes a man and my god the, the chemicals and the flames it was it was so awful and you know she says after the explosion at your plant you kept yourself pretty well hidden even here in Gotham you've only shown your face a half dozen times why the sudden interest in me and uh, of course we go to like a gratuitous shot of like Lois's legs she's wearing like like stiletto boots and a mini skirt in the middle of fucking December for some reason and uh, he's going to like touch her knee and he's like, well, I mean, I've changed more than you can imagine. But the one thing that hasn't changed is my attraction to you. And she's like, no, no, no. Okay, listen, this is a simple twist of fate that we're both here. So um, don't you ever put your hands on me again. And uh, he's like, okay, fine. But uh, I will have you. It's very much like the creepiest version of Wayne's World. You, you can imagine. <laughs> like, she will be mine. Oh, yes. Oh, it's so she it's will. so creepy to, to watch. But like, it's you, fucking you horrendous. It. Yeah, she, it, she does not give an inch man you know it's like lois is such a strong character yeah you know, she, and, and, i mean every inch as strong as superman in so many ways and it's just like she does not give a shit she's like whatever you're the most powerful man in the world i'm lois lane f you you know yep and, but then he like literally like pushes her out of the car and fucking skids off and uh you know he dropped her off in like the worst neighborhood in gotham 
he knew what was going to happen. And, um, you know, there's a, a bunch of street toughs that see this uh, rather attractive uh, metropolitan looking woman who was just kicked out of a limo. And uh, they decide to approach her, likely to ask her if she'd like to buy some uh, some popcorn for the local Boy Scout troop. Of course. Yes. As you as you would do when you're uh, like four or five grown men uh, smoking cigarettes and looking like your razor company has been on strike for a week and a half. And Jesus, our Lord and Savior. <laughs> Have you heard about Jesus, our Lord and Savior? No. Would you like oh. this copy of the Watchtower? <laughs> Good. Let me tell you all about him. You're going to meet him soon. And uh, that she falls, and all of a sudden, from the ground, Batman comes breaking up through the blacktop and just starts savaging these guys. I mean, he's using his super strength, his heat vision. They try stabbing him with a knife that breaks upon impact on his chest. And uh, I do like the uh, the choice of the fucking, the sort of built-in brass knuckles on his gloves. Yeah, the, the gloves are a really cool touch. Yeah, but I mean, talk about a hat on a hat. I mean, the guy yeah. has super strength. I don't I don't know that those are necessary. That's just like the cool factor. Yeah, it does, it does look pretty dope, I, I will like, admit. He's like, let me cut these ball bearings in half and put them on the backside of my knuckles. That'll do it. Go on. (laughs) I'm listening. I'm intrigued by your ideas and I'd like to subscribe to your weekly newsletter. (laughs) <laughs> and um you know we're we're hearing like reading it from Lois's perspective and you know she's just saying I admit I was fascinated with him the feeling in the city was that Gotham had found a protector a real hero unafraid to stand up to the bullies and cowards but watching him break apart those boys I could smell the burning flesh and hear the splintering bones I understood that this man if he was a man was no hero he was a dangerous psychopathic animal and uh you know of course to shore that up the words out of Batman's mouth are, I could kill you, you know. <laughs> One finger right through your head, splatter your brains all over the street. It's like, um, yeah, I believe you. I just watched knives bend and break off your chest. You shot fire out of your eyes and you broke through the ground to do this to us. Yeah, please don't. Please don't. Don't kill me. Oh, God. And uh, that's when Peter Batman is splatter. What's that? Peter Patterless gets splatter. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys notice the exactly tone how twelve ply you are, too? Bub? Yeah. So, so this now switches to the everyman sort of perspective, uh, where Lois is our stand-in, you know, for the audience. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's, it goes it's from like a, a personal narration to now switching to this, and that's going to be the tone for the rest of the book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it brings us outside of of what's happening with Bruce slash Batman. Um, and he finishes, you know, dealing with these these guys, uh, telling them that they're scum and not. Not even worth killing and uh you know she just she kind of comes away from it like he's he's as cold as the grave and she tells him to get the hell away from her and when she does that he, she, he you know it just takes all the fight right out of him he just kind of stands there and seems drained because he wasn't expecting that reaction and uh he just flies off you know almost for lack of a better term, like almost in a huff, just kind of like a, a really a, a disappointed kid, just like oh, and and goes off, and uh, she goes back to start typing up some some thoughts she has about the Batman, and uh, oh, basically that she kind of feels sorry for him uh, by by the time she gets all of her thoughts out of her head on the page. Uh, clearly, there's more going on there than anybody could realize, and she's clearly very astute because how you get that without being able to read someone's face is beyond me and um you know she's doing all of this uh at the gotham gazette bullpen and 
while she's typing this up in the middle of the night, Bruce is there and he explains like, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a night owl and I, I do a lot of my best work before the sun comes up. And of course, we as the audience are like, because he's Batman, get it? <laughs> and um, then she proceeds to tell him about what happened with Luther in the limo and how he booted her out and what happened with Batman and the those those kids, the, you know, four or five guys right after. And um, Bruce kind of like is like, but, you know, he saved you. And she said, yeah, if you had seen him in his utter disregard for human life, a man like that with such power could do so much better in the world instead of adding to its pain. And Bruce just kind of is like, you, you think so? And then she looks at him and says, well, look at you, your idealism and your dedication, the way you use your wealth for the, for the, and then they kiss. Oh, who knew that the attraction was so instant between the two of them? Because I didn't, there was no indication of it before that point. Um, and you know, it seems like they they probably start dating, uh, you know, a few weeks go by and, uh, they're at the Gazette bullpen and we have some people working and we see a, a an individual come in with, uh, a gray trench coat and, a hat on but they are clearly wearing a green dress shirt with a purple suit and purple bow tie and um you know they're like whoa you know what, what are you doing and you know the guy comes in he's like the only thing you'll be running mr publisher talking to perry white is your own obituary and uh they look up and she's just like you and he says ah lois my darling i thought it might be you in here what do you want remember when i told you that the explosion had made me a new man well my dear the time has come to show you just how new I am. And he rips off the mask, the Lex mask he's wearing, the second skin he has on, and he is paper white with a big lipstick grin. He Lex Luthor is the Joker. That big industrial chemical accident he was in was what happened to the guy who was tricked into dressing as the Red Hood and eventually became the Joker, Batman's arch nemesis. And uh, they seemingly combined him a bit with the penguin here as well because he it does kind of seem like that yeah he's carrying an umbrella and he holds up the umbrella and points it at bruce wayne and shoots him right in the chest with uh, a projectile that comes from it and um he explains as this is happening that lex luther is dead you jackass he died in a flood of chemicals and flame he suffered he burned and he was reborn as the joker and when bruce is struck he gets knocked right through a, a window and begins the plummet to uh, you know the ground floor the the mezzanine the quick way <laughs> and uh you know that's when luther grabs lois and um you know he he's deciding to uh you know make his his egress his exit and uh he all of a sudden has like a whirly gig device that comes out of his back that acts as a helicopter and flies he and lois away from the gotham gazette building and uh penguin gadget that he has and it 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 has its own hole in the back of his coat it's mm -hmm. pretty ingenious yeah it's it's an interesting uh, meshing of uh, several characters for sure and um, you know he, she, she's just looking at him incredulously as they're flying along uh, the, the skies of Gotham and she's just like what happened to you and he explains um, he says my little mishap at the chemical factory was just a tad worse than the press releases indicated truth is I was reduced to a mass of burned scarred flesh my doctors labored night and day but the best they could do was <laughs> well you can see for yourself 
I was so depressed. Lost interest in my business, money, power. It all meant nothing to me. For months, I sat around like a lump, eating too much and watching endless hours of television. Believe me, there's just so much of Wheel of Fortune a man can take. <laughs> anyway, as time passed, I began to understand what had happened. See it in a new light. Not as an ending, but a beginning. You know better than most how long I'd worn an uncomfortable mask of respectability while my true self hid in the shadows, manipulating and maneuvering. Not anymore. And, you know, basically saying, like, Gotham is the place for him to start anew with his Joker persona. Metropolis is too shiny and clean, decent and kind. But here in Gotham, even the buildings reflect the rot in the human soul. This is my kind of town, Lois. Gotham will be my kingdom. And you, oh object of my midnight passions, will be my sweet queen. And she proceeds to tell him he's out of his mind. (laughs) his reaction well naturally (laughs) (laughs) and uh the next thing next thing you hear is let the woman go and uh lex is just delighted he's like oh face to face at last you've been quite a thorn in my side damming up my flow of arms and money but happily you haven't done any permanent and that's when batman grabs him straight up and flies into the air and goes damage and batman informs him that he's not done yet and uh you know batman starts looking around the city as he's floating with uh, the Joker, Luther Joker, uh, in the middle of, of the city. And he can see with his, his uh, telescopic vision and hear with his uh, super hearing that Luther has, in fact, like sent arms into the city. There, There's LexCorp tanks and people with all kinds of advanced weaponry uh, going around on, on bikes, just causing all kinds of chaos and mayhem. And uh, there's a full-on mercenary army that that he he supplied these, these uh, arms to. And his intention was to take control of the city and to remake it and make it the independent nation-state of Jokerania. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, fucking phenomenal. (laughs) Only a joker would think of that. And uh, (laughs) he says, and from here, there'll be no stopping me. Today, Gotham, tomorrow, Bayonne. (laughs) Just just like, oh, Jersey. And uh, and and Lois, uh, as the third person omniscient, is saying, it sounded laughable. It would have been laughable if so many people weren't dying. And uh, Batman, I I, I can't help but imagine this is almost Christian Bale asking, why are you doing this? <laughs> to Luther, swear to me. And uh, you know, he says, "Well, jo- in very much a Joker fashion, well, why not? <laughs> Gonna do something for kicks, right?" And uh, Batman just lifts him straight up over his head and throws him down towards the ground. I mean, they are still floating high above the city, and uh, you know, basically, Luther is pushing him to do it, saying, "Like, you know, I, you know, basically, I, I, I dare you to do it because you're just as nuts as I am. Am, am I right?" And Batman mm-hmm. says yes and then just throws him and then he's kind of shaking in midair because he's so enraged and looks down at Lois and Lois just goes no and Batman's kind of like taking him back and he's like all right fine I guess I'll go save the fat ass <laughs> <laughs> flies down catches him and uh you know that's when Luther says to him like so where is it we're going Tahiti Monte Carlo Bombay and that Batman says you're going to jail I'm going to save my city and he goes around and starts taking out the LexCorp tanks and all the mercenary gangs that are flying around causing all this trouble and, and hurting and killing all these people in these neighborhoods destroying all kinds of property and um, you know one by one he, he does this and he's actually taking the time to make sure that he is stopping them but not killing them and he finally comes back 
back to Lois and she says straight up to him, you know, this was different tonight. You you didn't you didn't fight with hate or or vindictiveness. There was no terror or brutality. This is what you can do with your power and you can do so much more. You know, don't don't just focus on flexing your muscles and stooping to the level of, of the criminals you're trying to stop. You can be the example that everyone follows. You can be a symbol of hope. And, uh, you know, we have a very small panel here where he turns and we get the full display of this Batman Superman-esque costume, like the upper torso. And he, he's just being very pensive and says, I, I don't have it in me to, to do that, to be that. And she says, the Batman doesn't. And then slides off his mask. But Bruce Wayne does, which like, okay, I don't know how she knew that was Bruce Wayne, but apparently Lois Lane has x-ray vision in this as well. Uh, Maybe they smell the same, like they wear the same (laughs) face, right? Your pheromones are are just like Bruce's. (laughs) You're wearing brute. You're like, it's like, uh, I knew it was you because you're wearing that Dracar Noir. (laughs) (laughs) You're wearing your signature scent. You made a big deal about how you paid $2,000 for it. Obsession by Bruce Wayne. Obsession, swear to me. <laughs> and uh, you know, she says, "You know, did I did I realize it all the time? M- maybe not. Does it really matter? What's important is that he understood and he believed in himself, in the man of decency and high ideals that I fell in love with, and who loved me with all his heart. Sometimes I think about how differently it could have turned out. How something as simple as a shifting wind current might have carried that rocket anywhere in the world. It could have been a Zulu chieftain that found him in a fiery crater, or a Chinese peasant. Why not some fascist dictator or a Kansas farmer?" Scenario after scenario unreals in my mind. (laughs) Indeed. And I panic at the mere thought that I might never have known him, that our troubled world might have been denied her greatest hero. Inevitably, I laugh and push my foolish fantasies aside, secure in the knowledge that there's only one way it could have happened, only one series of events that could have given us Superman. Dun, dun, dun. He's got a, a very Batman, like old school Batman colored uh, Superman costume where it, it is gray and blue, uh, but he the the costume comes down to gloves. That's part of the gray portion. And uh, he has, still has his, he has a red cape, red boots. Um, he actually has his mask come up um, to his forehead uh, and covers his neck and everything, part of the, the costume altogether. Um, I feel like this is, it's similar to another costume I've seen. I can't quite place it. I was thinking it. Eradicator, like just without the glasses. You know what? For some reason, it's making me think of Dr. Light. Like like the... If he if he had like the head fin, that would look a lot like Dr. Light. Sure. Um, yeah, but I mean, he's got the, the open top of it. So, you know, his hair is exposed and everything. But uh, there's also a, a similar um, design that's used in John Dr. Burns. Polaris, maybe just without the wings and on the side of the maybe head. but there's a very similar design that's used for the character of nightwing uh in john yeah. burns suit oh suit, yeah that's, superman batman yeah. generations um i think that's what it is i'm i'm identifying there's another elseworlds which we will cover at some point uh in the future because it's my favorite like comic book ever um but then of course smack dab in the middle of the classic superman s insignia uh and and you know sun shining brightly behind him just past uh the city skyline of gotham and uh that is that is our story that is uh superman speeding bullets it's um it's okay (laughs) it's it's not bad uh, the I felt like the amalgamation of 
Lex Luthor, Joker, and Penguin might have been a bit much, but overall, for being one prestige issue for an Elseworld, I think they they hit the high notes uh, fairly well on what you'd like to see for a combination between the two characters. We got Batman and Superman as a character, and then we got Joker and Lex Luthor as a character. Like, bing, bang, boom. That's pretty much what you what you should expect to see when you're doing a story like this. What do you guys think? Surprised there's no Commissioner Gordon in this one whatsoever. Oh, yeah. Like, no, no bat symbol or anything, so it's it's a very simplified version. The only characters you get, you get Bruce Wayne, Batman, Lex Luthor, Joker, Lois Lane, and Alfred. Then maybe Perry White. And and that's kind of it besides like Bruce's parents. It's it's simple. It's paced very well, especially for just this, this uh, particular format. This to me is one of the more memorable stories that I read that was in Elseworld. It sticks with you after you read it. You're like, that was cool. Like I, I like that concept. I like the costume. I like I like so much about this book. It just kind of stuck with me after the first time I read it. Yeah. Um this was this was one of one of my first Elseworlds when I was a kid. Um and uh I was I was really enamored of it and thought it was like the zenith of of alternate reality tales at that moment in time for for me um and i actually have found myself like you know revisiting it every once in a while and i I feel like this book for when i read it was was top shelf and when i read it now like there's a lot that you can you can look at and appreciate for sure but if this was a story done like right now it would be fleshed out a little bit more i think yeah i agree like a mini series or something yeah and they would play around with it because um ultimately and i think this is this is good even years later like it may not be a a perfect book as it is but i find myself wondering and this is the best part about these kinds of stories i found myself wondering like what the rest of this world was like Mm -hmm. you know with no superman in metropolis like luther ran rampant he did whatever he wanted there he became the joker but there's also other implications like intergang probably runs most of metropolis that lex luther didn't have anything to do with and even then there's probably crossover but how does that affect the justice league or justice society if that if the league hadn't been formed like what other heroes are there like who is who is barry allen the flash is hal jordan green lantern is it it was guy Gardner's become catwoman you know (laughs) yeah yeah does lois become catwoman precisely um you know was was guy gardner uh closer to the ring at this in in this reality and he's the one who became the 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 lantern for sector 2814 i don't know there's all kinds of questions and you could you could definitely expand upon this i i wouldn't i wouldn't have minded seeing a little bit more uh a little bit more from it and over an overall more fleshed out story i think this is good bone structure for what could be like a great two or three issue uh story um but the imagery it definitely like burned itself into my brain it it's very effective the the cover the 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 splash panel of him first appearing as batman on the rooftop that we mentioned earlier with the smoke around him the steam uh, and that shot of him as Superman at the very end, you know, that, that they still, I, I appreciate that they still kept the blue and the gray in the costume, you know, because for a lot of us, that is very much a hallmark of Batman in comic books. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't black and gray until, 
you know, the late eighties, early nineties. The Grant Morrison run, I think. Yeah. With I, uh, JLA and that's when he changed the costume. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I remember growing up reading all kinds of like Neil Adams, Batman comic books and like it was always blue and gray. Always. You know, there was there was none of this like dark night per se thing going on. It was it was just still like, okay, Batman's trying to help the Gotham City Police Department and for some reason he is now on a train underground moving at a hundred seventy miles an hour. Let's see how this pans out. Let's let's know what's happening, Denny. All right. And you know, it was it, I mean it, it was it's good to see that they kept with like classic design on some of this and and did their best to to mesh the both. Um the the symbol, as I said, um I really feel like there's more that could have been done there um we don't see it often i mean how often in this book do we actually see it a few times so you see it when he fights uh the punks to save lois about three four panels there you do not see it let's see you don't see it at all in that first fight you see just like a semblance of it and he covers it and then it's sideways so you you don't really see it at all when he's taking down the gunman and then let's see it's really guarded, you know. You don't see it fighting Joker Luther at all. Yeah. No, uh, when he throws him, and then when he stands there shaking. So there's only two times that you see it in that last one until the, the final page when he goes to catch him. So it's it's something it's like they use that really sparingly. Yeah, I think part of the reason for that is because they realize like how kind of unfinished it looks. Like it, it, it It's like they reach that point. They're like, eh, let's not fuck around with it too much more because it'll be indistinguishable, which I don't think is actually the case. Um, I think they could have actually like shaped the bat more to the Pentagon shape. Um, so it would have looked a little bit more like a large winged bat um, inside of that. You know, it could have been squared off a bit. That's fine. I mean, we're used to seeing a, a, a Batman with a symbol that that comes to like hard angles and, and points and stuff. It, it, it's it's not, you know, unreasonable. Yeah. Um, I used to draw like my own version of this symbol all the time after I read this book as a kid. And I was like, how am I like 12? And I figured this out and they fucking haven't like it, it was it was ridiculous. Um, no, no, Beretta was uh, the guy that did that Lex Luthor um, autobiography, like that comic. Oh, really? So, so he was, uh, he's, he's uh, passed on, unfortunately. He had a car accident in, in 2011. He, he passed away, wow. but like he did a lot of good stuff with DC and specifically Lex Luthor, like a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, that that uh that autobiography that biography i remember my uncle having that when i was a kid like cover so cool like it looks like a real book oh i know for sure i thought it was a real book and i was like is that lex luther and my uncle was like yeah it's a comic i was like oh oh cool can i read it and he was like you can sit down here and read it you're not bringing it home i was like <laughs> yes that's fine that's i asked if i could read it that yeah, I'll, I'll be over here reading this bye <laughs> Um, that's how I, you know, my uncles did a lot of that stuff for me, uh, when I was a kid and I, you know, I, I really, really enjoyed this. This is, like I said, one of the first, I, I was really getting into what ifs and else worlds, um, primarily because of, uh, this, uh, Superman Cal and, uh, of all things, 
there was a two-part what if story um called it started with uh what if captain america had led an army of super soldiers during world war ii and then the second part it was actually a, a two-parter what if continuing on um what if captain america had formed the avengers and uh when i when i read both of those like i read those issues and i read this i realized like what if was a series i was like wait a minute there's like these books coming out every month what and uh, I, I just became obsessed and I, I tracked all of the DC Elseworlds and uh, volume two of, of What If from Marvel down. And it, it sparked my love of these kinds of tales. Um, that's why, you know, later on, I, I would I loved Mutant X from Marvel Comics, which was an alternate reality havoc. And you got to see what that world was like where he was kind of a bad guy and mad, married uh, the Goblin Queen, Madeline Pryor. Always a bad guy. <laughs> Is just he? Saying. Oh, he's a piece of garbage. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I mean, if you say so. I mean, the havoc, the havoc. You don't that traveled... see the Avengers. You'll you'll see. Like, well, okay. well I was gonna say the out. havoc that traveled into bad guy havoc in Mutant X was a good guy. Like he was like, whoa. Havoc is a good character who makes poor choices constantly. That defines him as a character, and especially when there's redheaded women involved, he is awful. <laughs> nice. Good to know. Fucking way to fuck it up, Alex. Yeah, and, pretty uh, much. <laughs> you know, but uh, and also uh, Judd Winnick came to Marvel. Um, who is he, a lot? Some people might know him from the Real World back in the day. Uh, he was he was on like season two or something like that. Was maybe. it My Friend Pablo that he published? Uh, yeah, he 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 wrote and drew um My Friend Pablo uh about his friend um oh my god is it Alvarez? I don't recall. No, 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 uh, no, uh, Zamata, I think. Oh, Zamora, Zamora, Pablo Zamora. Um, who was it? Some, no, 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 no. That's not it. Though I'm gonna type it in the real world. It was Pablo. definitely not Puck. Was it Pedro? Pedro. Pedro. Pedro Zamora. It was Pedro, Pedro Zamora. Okay, so I had the last name. I was fucking up the first name. Um, I'm thinking of Pablo Neruda. <laughs> yeah, right, the the poet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Judd Winnick uh, was on The Real World with um, Pedro Zamora, and another another person there um, was a doctor. Her name is Pam Ling, and um, Judd Winnick they didn't really focus on her a lot, but he was an aspiring um, like artist and illustrator and, and creator. I don't think they really got into the fact that he was trying to break into comic books, and um, he befriended Pedro and and Pam. Like they all became like pretty tight, uh, and Pedro felt comfortable enough with them to say like oh you know i'm i'm gay and um i i am hiv positive well, I, I'm, I'm, I have aids and um they're like oh that's awful and pam especially like being a doctor like holy crap like are you okay and he's like well you know i'm doing the best i can but you know it's it's aids and he 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 was an activist and he he did an awful lot to help his community and help spread awareness of of what his condition uh entailed and to try to keep people from experiencing the same things he was going through and um pam and judd both became very involved with that activism as well uh pedro passed judd winnick uh wrote and drew the book um my friend pedro about what it was like to meet pedro befriend him be there for and with him as he got sicker and and passed away and uh pam who was in a relationship 
with some guy uh, when everything like started up on the show. They all remained friends, you know, through at past the show. And uh, she eventually broke up with that guy. And even when they were on Real World, like Joe was like, I really like Pam. And they are now married with a few kids. And uh, Judd Winnick, he became very, very well known for uh, his his book, uh, My Friend Pedro. And uh, he was able to kind of do his own independent stuff for a little bit. Uh, one book, which I absolutely love, for, it came from Oni Press called uh, The Adventures of Barry Ween, Boy Gene. Um, it's about an 11 year old kid who has an IQ of like 300 and he and his best friend Jeremy who is uh, Jeremy Suarez I think he's Dominican and he has ADHD he's like a very typical hyperactive 11 year old uh, they walk around they do all kinds of cool space age weird fun smart stuff uh, and they swear like sailors the entire time because that's exactly what 11 year old boys do I don't care who you are or what you have to say about it that's what happens and when I first read it, I couldn't help but think, oh, Nickelodeon saw your story and they decided to sanitize it and make it into Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius. I was it's, just thinking it sounds a lot like Jimmy Neutron, yeah. But it came out before, well before it. And um, it's it's an excellent book. It's, um, I think if you find, you can get like the big book of Barry Wayne, it, it combines like all four volumes into one tome. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's in black and white, but it doesn't take away from the story. It's phenomenal. He wrote and drew the entire thing. He dedicated the book to his wife Pam um, and he came into Marvel and created a series called Exiles which is just an outstanding alternate reality take and a, a fun tour through what could have been in many different instances throughout Marvel Comics it's basically combining X-Men I'm really going to date myself here X-Men Quantum Leap and Sliders a lot of sliders in that, yeah. You know, putting right what once went wrong, and once that happens, they're able to slide to the next reality, and hopefully as they continue on and fix these different realities, it will fix the time stream in and of itself. And um, some of them have no home to go back to, which yeah, is, some is like the twist on it, where it's like, oh, you can't go back to your world because your world has been destroyed. Yeah, and one of the cool things was like the, the characters that that comprise that particular group like when it starts off is uh is blink from the age of apocalypse like the actual age of apocalypse era and um morph who is not from age of apocalypse looks like the way he did in it but he's actually from uh, a reality where he is an avenger and he has like a really healthy outlook in in personality like he's he's just a well-adjusted dude who's a goofball and like very very complete mastery over his shape-shifting abilities like he's impressive um then you have mimic who in his reality is a good guy and not a villain uh his he's a mutant and his ability is he can hold up to five different mutants abilities uh but at half strength of what the progenitors uh abilities are it's um, awesome to watch it's like it's, it's just so, so cool it's so cool. Um, and, you know, he's like, you know, one of his things is he he absorbed uh, Wolverine's uh, healing ability years ago. And he's like, yeah, I have half I have half capacity for Wolverine's healing factor. But like that half capacity for that is like still a lot. And uh, it turns out in his reality, he became the leader of the X-Men. And because Professor X saw the potential in him and they got to him before he was like turned by the Brotherhood of Mutants. And uh, turns out that Calvin Mimic and Wolverine were drinking buddies <laughs> in in his reality because they were literally the only two people that could drink 
drink with one another. It's a good story, yeah. Because of the healing factor. Too. And um, you know, it's just it's you know, it's just like there's there's things like that where you see you see them, you come across them, you read them, you check them out, and it's like it shows you the fun of all this because yeah, you can get your your very standard like this happens and it's gonna affect everything moving forward. But there is something to that sort of standalone story that you're able to just digest and absorb. And uh that that to me is a large part of the fun of all this and and like i said being able to walk away and kind of still you know choose your own adventure after the fact you can you can keep rolling it around in your head and you know i like to think that hopefully there's you know a decent amount of kids out there that read some of these same things uh growing up and you know all it takes is you know opening your mouth when you're pitching ideas or just you know having a conversation with someone and they might latch onto it and say like yeah why don't we why don't we do that like let's let's jump back into this let's let's show people how much fun it is i mean that's exactly what happened with uh kurt busiek with superman secret identity which we covered you know he he came up with an idea and he was like yeah it's kind of stupid and he was having a drink with another you know another uh creator and they were just like what write it up i want i want to read that like (laughs) tell me tell me your ideas i want to i want to know where that goes yeah absolutely and there he he found himself writing like a quick treatment for this idea that he thought was really silly back in like 1987. It just, you never know, you know, and, and that's, that's the beauty of, of all these different takes. And hopefully, you know, if you haven't read any of these things that we've covered so far, it's, it's intrigued you enough that you, you kind of are searching them out and seeing for yourself what it is we're talking about. I have the actual book. It's definitely available digital. Uh, mm-hmm. The book cover price is five ninety five, uh, eight fifty in Canada. You can uh, still find it out there. It's um, you know relatively thin. I, I don't know if it's maybe like thirty something. I think pages. it's like thirty five pages yeah. or forty forty five pages maybe. It's uh, it's beautiful. Like the the whole thing, just like looking at it and like the colors. It's, oh, it it's pops. A really nice, really nice piece. I I'm a huge fan of this. I'd recommend it. A lot of times you can find this at your um, at your local comic shop, and they'll have it bagged and boarded in like the Superman uh, section of their boxes. That's where I found it. So, but I, I keep it out with the graphic novels and all that. I this is one I'll pop out every couple of years. Like maybe I'll start reading something like um, like I'll go back and read the Long Halloween or something, and I'll see it. And I'm like, all right, yeah, let me just get this one too. Like this one in in JLA the Nail. I'll I'll read every couple of years. Absolutely, that's, that's a good one. The nail, uh, Alan Davis. He that's that's another one. He was he was working real hard to get that one made for a while, and it finally came to fruition. I think he he knocked it out of the park with the nail. That's another one that I I mean I dream about that book sometimes because of <laughs> like the really strong imagery in it. It's like it just permeates its way into your psyche, and you're like, this is an important story, even if it's not like the best thing I ever read. It's like it's ingrained itself in me. Yeah, I mean, what's in that story? I mean, there's a lot of fun stuff, and we're definitely going to cover that at some point. Um, but I mean, Leo's going to like that one a lot, I think. <laughs> oh yeah, you're going to love it, Leo, for real. Um, there's so many different elements that are taking place. You have your science fiction stuff, but there's also clear influences, or uh, yeah, influences or homages to Kirby esque and Kirby, and even um, the directors David Cronenberg and oh, and John Carpenter. I see it. I see it. <laughs> For real, like I remember reading The Nail and just absolutely being reminded of especially, especially John Carpenter uh, because of the thing. Yep, I can see it. Yeah. Um, and it's it's not like in your face gory or anything like that. But if you're familiar with any of those 
those directors and, and what they've done, um, body horror and, and, you know, horrors from another world, you know, an alien horror from another world, you'll see exactly what it is I'm talking about. Um, that's, that's a really fun one. Alan Davis, a British, uh, British artist, I believe, right? Alan Davis is British. Correct. Yeah. He yeah. did a lot of, um, a lot of work for, uh, Captain Britain and, um, ah, Captain Britain. That's what it was. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. X-Men um, like, like, um, I always go back to one of my favorite X-Men's is, is kind of an Elseworld 2, uh, X-Men Annual number 11 uh, he did. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and, you know, it's it, a lot of these um, these writers and artists who work on what-ifs in, in Elseworlds and such, they clearly have an affinity for these types of stories. That That's why they're, they were, you know, Alan Davis himself, he was drawn to this. Um, oh, Miracle Man, Alan Davis did. Uh, I don't know. Okay, yeah, with Alan, Alan Moore and then with um, Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman, yep, exactly. Um, but yeah, he, uh, very talented dude. He, he did the, I believe he did the artwork and the writing for uh, The Nail. And, you know, that's, that's another one worth getting into from DC. But like I said, we're going to try to go a little Marvel heavy um for the next several episodes because uh you know i don't want i don't want the marvel kids to to feel <laughs> left out no i mean for real like there's a lot of good stories to be told and i don't i don't want to i don't want to focus on on just like one side of the one side of the river here um especially we'll go because, where the stories are good yeah you know i we're mean good. we're not we're not gonna we're, i don't know that we're gonna be busting out like you know what if the fantastic four all had the same power anytime soon um but we will definitely be looking into some of the much cooler aspects of what if um it's a little trickier when you get later on after they finish the series because they actually stop asking the question on the fucking cover <laughs> which and they don't even ask it on the inside of the book because you so you have to like figure i'm like i don't know what was different here you're not helping me marvel have, have was, you seen the the recent ones uh, uh there was one that came out i think last week it was and I was so befuddled by it. It was uh, what if Miles Morales? Oh man! Oh those yeah, that's are what they that's, that's what they started doing towards yeah. the end of series of volume two. Was it would just be what if starring Sabretooth. That's actually the first one that I remember that being the case. And I literally I read it. The artwork is really weird. It's like I mean, it's like it's it's yeah, they made some questionable choices. And in that I Miles legitimately had one. Yeah. no idea what that comic was about like i i don't know what what the difference was between that and like 616 um but yeah like there's some stuff that they did in their like uh their mini runs for what if over the past several years that that were interesting there is one that i i'd like to cover at some point um what because it was a precursor to before he ever became red hulk and it was what if general thaddeus excuse me thaddeus thunderbolt ross had become the hulk (laughs) Which uh, I guess you know, that was written by Peter David, and um, oh, so it is canon. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but I guess fans figured out the ending, and he changed it. And um, I legitimately have no idea what the original ending was supposed to be. I've I've searched for it. I have no idea. Um, I mean, if if you guys or anybody listening fucking figures it out, fucking shoot me a message. <laughs> You'll hear. Me. You have my socials at the end here. Uh, let let a brother know. Um, but yeah, that's that's a really interesting one, especially with the characterization of uh, of Bruce Banner in it. W- wasn't there a series called What the? Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> kind of like that's... a uh, 
a parody series. Yeah, it's sort of like the like now what kind of stuff we saw at the end of uh, what if Jane Foster had found the hammer of Thor. <laughs> it's just all goofy, stupid, inane crap. I just remember the jokes at the end of the panels where it's like, what if the Punisher didn't use guns and he was like spanking people and stuff? <laughs> and it's like you're a bad have, like, bad sort of boy. Yeah. yeah. So what what do you think about this, Leo? Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was. Uh... <laughs> The art was excellent, uh, but it, it's, you know me, I'm a Batman guy. Like, I love Superman, but Batman's, you know, my character. And it's just, you know. No one's perfect. So, so like, I mean, I, I love the hope of, of Superman, the purity of Superman, but the grittiness and, and just badassness of, of Batman, you know? Um, and Absolutely. just killing it well uh quite literally in the beginning just uh <laughs> you know that thief is on fire <laughs> exactly i mean you know just starting it off with with him just annihilating joe chill but then realizing that you know he needs to pull his punches you know yeah um and did i lose you guys no, 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 we're was, still we're still here, but your your cameras like kind of want. Ah, uh, yeah, you guys uh, froze for a minute. You're, you're all good now. Uh, yeah, just thoroughly enjoyed it. It's uh, just the story was great. Uh, it was a nice short read. Um, you know, uh, uh, Joe Lex uh, was a little little odd. You know, definitely the culmination of of those characters. You know, Penguin, Joker, and Lex. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, it definitely set me back to. It's a good period piece. You know, reading it now, Lex Joquin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah, it it, it kind of brought you back. You were saying, yeah, yeah, that that's awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah. you know, this is like I said, I, there's nostalgia involved uh, for me with with this. Um, and like I said, for for me, it's it's good, it's enjoyable, it is quick. It's a it, it's a breeze to read this. It really mm-hmm. is. Um, it doesn't stay. It doesn't overstay its welcome. Yeah. Um, but like I said, if this were reapproached as a concept now, like if black DC black label were to do it, um, I think they would play around with it a little bit more. I think we'd get a little bit more development on his becoming Batman from the stance of finding out he was from another place. We'd probably get a little bit more of like Jor-El hologram coming out of the the ship and trying to explain Krypton, you know, John Burness kind of stuff. Uh, but also the one thing that I always was kind of like, oh, I wish they had had the chance to explore this is Bruce Wayne. You know, he he had been developing those powers and he uses heat vision for the first time, killing Joe Chill at the beginning of this, which is really ironic that he burned a dude named Joe Chill to death. Uh, it's the fact that from that point, he became a recluse. He stayed at the manor. He stayed inside seemingly he didn't even like going out um i feel like that should have put like a hamper on his abilities um so when he first started being batman he he would have probably been more akin to like 1938 superman strength levels and it would have been a buildup over time for him to get to like realizing he's becoming more and more powerful and playing with the idea of him like teetering between you know uh vengeful vindictive um nature and justice you know because that becomes a question of like does absolute power corrupt absolutely 
and that's where you can see those those angel and, angels and demons kind of wrestling within the character in the story. Like I said, two or three issues, and you can you have a whole lot you can play around with just within the confines of the story we we just read. Uh, I do think that they could take a slightly less goofy approach to the joke there or whatever you want to fucking call yeah. them in this joke core. Yeah, <laughs> joke core. Yeah. And um, it could be, it can still be done. Absolutely. It just, you know, like his visage sticks with you because like like when he sticks out of the dark and you just see his eyes and smile, and those eyebrows, man, he's definitely far more physically intimidating than the Joker from the Batman comic books, like the regular Joker. I mean, the fact that he lifted these two guys up by their throats from behind and just strangled them to death is like something in and of itself. Um, but yeah, like there's, there's, there's a lot here that, that is a lot of fun. And, and like I said, you can, even if they never do it, like it's always enjoyable to kind of like play that movie in your head yourself. You know, like I, I, I live in a world where my brain has been populated by a number of these stories and I've I've made my own continuations for myself and it's like oh man how cool would that be and it's it's always fun too because sometimes you know we'll look at some of these stories and we can actually see um, what likely could have been a framework for actual storylines that eventually come to be in in you know both sides you know, the the big two DC and Marvel so well, let me ask you this one Brandon if in in Leo I'll ask you this one too if you were to continue this what would the next story or the next most likely story be for this particular Superman deal? So, I mean, we're talking straight up, beating bullets happened and now we're making a, a follow-up story. Like, mm-hmm. so this is the and established... Now he's that Superman on that last panel. Okay. Um, You know what? I think... I think the next logical step is the Justice League. Um, how he operates within the world, how the world views him, especially transitioning from Batman to Superman, um, because he did do some pretty foul stuff when he was Batman to criminals. And he's clearly showing his face when he's Superman, so he doesn't care that people know he's Bruce Wayne. Um, and I would very much like to see how that would pan out with the formation of uh, Supergroup and what who would be be the membership of that group um you know maybe maybe Abin sir would actually still be green lantern you know that that would be your guy there um you know shazam could be a completely different person than billy batson um is any number of things would be different but show show like the differences in this reality because of like shifting winds dropping the spaceship in a different spot than kansas and what that ripple effect is and um i think at that moment in time my thing and this would not be a you couldn't do this as a one prestige like it would have to be like a two or three parter uh i would play on with this being the basis I would play on the ship being there and trying to reach out to him and and do the whole Krypton connection thing and imbue him with the knowledge and yada yada you know because he's supposed to be like now the last scion of krypton and play with the eradicator and i would actually if you're gonna follow suit with what you did with lex luther and the joker slash the penguin i would say the next logical step to escalation is you have the eradicator come out and realize it needs to recreate uh earth in the visage of krypton and who would have the best chance to help it go up against Kal-El, which who is uh, fighting against the Iraqi's programming, 
And that's where you see the Eradicator take over Rachel Ghoul. Interesting. That's that good, would that's a good answer, man. That would be like where I would bring it to next. Um, because then you still you can still have him as Superman, but he's Bruce Wayne Superman, and he doesn't necessarily have the detective skills or or the fighting skills that Bruce Wayne developed in our reality. But if you are able to play on the the John Byrne esque um transferal of all of Krypton's knowledge to Kal-El. Uh, I would go so far as to say like this would be an excellent opportunity to show how Superman is able to actually practically use the things that have been placed in his mind and uh, those some of those things would be uh, the Kryptonian martial arts and that would be enough to hopefully physically uh, keep him from being destroyed without powers against Ra's al Ghul slash the Eradicator because my view of it would be the Eradicator would likely pull some Brainiac-esque type, type stuff initially and uh, offer Ra's al Ghul uh, the ability to make a Lazarus Pit last forever instead of having to find new uh, ley lines and move around. And I think that Kryptonite would end up having a part in that and... Yada, yada, yada. Like, I, I've had ideas. Uh, there you <laughs> so, go. Yeah, I figured that's why I asked you. Yeah, like I said, read, like, Leo, do I you can... have any ideas? Um, yeah, you, you know, borrowing some from uh, from you guys there, you know, I would say keep the story similar, except definitely draw it out more. Um, when Batman becomes the, uh, well, when Bruce becomes a recluse, I would say, you know, uh, he develops his training uh, due to Superman's increased, you know, uh, reading ability and whatnot. Uh, you know, he, he learns at a faster rate, um, but he goes the whole route as Batman and, you know, having limited powers because he's always working at night. Um you know, just develop it like a regular Batman story, except he's a bit stronger. Uh, but then he runs into, uh, you know, actually before he gets to that, uh, you know, because there is no Superman, the world's going to hell. Um, the world's becoming more like Gotham all over the world, you know, uh, crime everywhere. Uh, and uh, he gets, uh, you know, at some point uh, they introduce Brainiac. He comes to find Cal. Al. You could do the Brainiac thing with Rachel Gould too. I'm sorry, I just I just really <laughs> I, I got stuck on the Eradicator because it was like, but you know that's that's that. Well, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. I was just thinking, you know, he doesn't know anything about his heritage. Then he runs into Brainiac, where he, you know, somehow he learns that the sun gives him his power. Then you get to the end where he, you know, you make that him flying through the sunlight really meaningful you know he's yeah, been yeah weak this whole yeah. storyline then he goes into the sun and then he goes to find you know other heroes and try to repair the earth and uh then you can go from there you know just you know trying to you know uh just find other people to help him fix all these issues that you know have been happening because there hasn't been a superman oh my god I, i'm like my head cannon is like spinning it's <laughs> a great idea yeah it is it, it, it kind of like falls in line with what i was saying like you know keep him at like 1938 levels at the you know at the very least you know he he just knows that he he's a little stronger and he does have an idea about the ship or whatever but that's it 
And it's not just that he works at night, but he keeps himself covered head to toe. So like solar radiation is not permeating that to get to him. And uh, oh my God, if you went up against Rachel Ghoul and like the follow up, you could actually play with like if you, you know, you could play with Brainiac Eradicator and actually have it end with, um, you know, Lois Lane notwithstanding here, you know, like take out the whole like, oh, we fell in love immediately and we're, we're together forever. Like you could keep that part ambiguous where she's just like, you know, I helped him realize he could be a hero. And that's that. Like you, there's no not necessarily a, a romantic relationship as of yet. You know, keep that keep a pin in that. That way you go to Rachel Ghoul from the the whole like brainiac thing and what have you and you get your combination of like eradicator and and dealing with that and you can actually have Rachel Ghoul be very aware of what's happening with with bruce wayne like the last scion of the wayne wayne empire the last scion of, of krypton Rach might actually you know glean more information than bruce has from the eradicator and he actually ends up funding the cadmus project in a bid to try and repli- replicate what bruce wayne is with his own dna instead like with both instead of uh instead of what's which i'm call it uh lex luther and that's when you could actually have bruce there and in, in a weakened state and he meets talia al ghul and it turns out by the end of the story that all of Rachel Ghoul's, you know, experiments, everything that Cadmus Project does, it somehow gets destroyed. Bruce finds out about it, takes the whole place down, raises it to the ground, and Talia is pregnant. And you could you could even go to a third part where like that's how their version of Damien is born. It's so close to birth of the demon, though. You know, it's like the, But that's the point. It's yeah. supposed to be like similar, but just off kilter, you know, like mm-hmm. just off center. <laughs> you know, and and once again, we're combining elements. You know, because the thing is, like, I wouldn't necessarily have Damien end up being like straight up Damien. Like, you know, there could be complications because of the fact that he's a hybrid and, you know, Talia might not make it. I'm not trying to like do a women in fridges thing to her. You know, it's 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 more like kind of making this kid orphaned just like, you know, Kal-El and just like Bruce Wayne. Um, And or maybe she realizes like I need to get the fuck out of here. Like my father is powerful and he has all this, but this is too much for him like he can't he can't have this and he's going to take my son and turn him into a guinea pig to give himself all of this power and gets away and uh you know basically you have damien end up being a combination of robin and connor kent superboy now that was that was my idea my idea would be brainiac would come and you know this superman goes to investigate and he finds a lone Kryptonian child in there that he pulls out and brings back to the the cave and all that. And it turns out that that's Dick Grayson. So that would be kind of my you know, way to go. So I, I would, I would, I mean, there's no wrong answer. I mean, the, no. the, like Rachel Ghoul would be great. Why couldn't he come out of the Phantom Zone as General Rachel Ghoul Zod? You know, or like something like like you can go any way with this, and it would make he, so much, he could be he could be so Rachel Ghoul who was trying to increase the power of a Lazarus Pit and incidentally opened the Phantom Zone and is actually possessed by the Phantom of Z- Z- General Zod. Like, see that that writes itself. Like, like literally, it's like any of these. Like, these are great ideas. Like, I would love to. See oh my god! And imagine imagine seeing like Bruce Wayne Superman and. Rachel Ghoul, General Zod, both go into Lazarus Pit together to to fight it out and and be the one who to come out like all powerful immortal and watch like the absolute degradation of Rachel Ghoul and General Zod's minds because they're already warring with one another in one body. Like Dude, all I'm saying is I I accept what you're saying and I add Swamp Thing. 
<laughs> because that's okay. That's I would very much like to see us walk yeah, in the like, not in a bad way. Well, the Phantom yeah. Stranger, who else? That's an old man <laughs> fashioning a canoe out of a tree. And then, and then, <laughs> no, and then, no, I'll, I'll, I'll add one more thing to that, and then we should wrap it up. Uh, Kara enters the picture, and uh, but she's a bit younger, and uh. Who else to, to raise her but a uh, Commissioner Gordon? Chef's kiss. <laughs> and I'll call you Barbara after my late wife. <laughs> she's not dead. She's just never on time. She's never on time. She's just a <laughs> constantly late woman. Never here. Yeah, that, I mean, that's that. Like I said, that's the fun of, of stuff like this. Oh, yeah. And, that's that's this world that you're talking about. So Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I, I like actually like all the ideas that we put forth and I very much plan on uh, DC making this happen yeah. within the next three years. Well, they, they, they remade Cal, so who knows? They sure did. <laughs> yeah, for real. I actually... Although he told me he never it. read it, so... <laughs> I, I, I... Who, me? No, uh, the, the current writer. I, I, oh, really? Yeah, I said something to him on Facebook. He's like... Thanks, mate. No, I never read it. We're good mates, though. Me and Dave Gibbons. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. But seriously, you did read it, though. <laughs> like, don't oh, you yeah. fucking lie to me, pal. All right? Like, you're going to tell me that... Dark Knights of Steel at some point on this one, I'm sure. Oh, we absolutely will. But you don't, you don't tell me that you made a whole fucking, like, medieval version of all this shit. And not once, and even in like conversation leading up to planning, did anyone bring up the fact that there was a prestige format Elseworlds that did the same thing specifically with Superman's character, tying it into Arthurian legend? Come on. Yeah, DC's like, I want to make this, but we're going to have Harley Quinn in it. Oh, it's a completely different. Okay. Oh, Harley <laughs> Quinn, she wasn't in Cal. We we got this then. Sweet. See, it's, it's, it's clearly different because there's no, it's Dr. Evil. You know, it's like <laughs> it's, <laughs> Lauren Michaels is doing it. Lauren Michaels is all like, I want to make a comic book, but Harley Quinn's in it. <laughs> <laughs> The time of night it is. It's <laughs> say, was she a great big clown person? <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, th- yeah, that it's all good stuff. Um, I I I need to catch up on Dark Knights of Steel, uh, for sure. There actually is another fun one, um, for Superman, which once again we're gonna take hiatus from, but uh, it takes place in feudal Japan called mm. Shogun of Steel. Uh, and what's interesting about that is when Kal-El like arrives, he actually takes on like an Asian appearance. Sort of, sort of showing like a weird, like an odd adaptability to whomever it was that would have found him, which I found intriguing. It's, it's not really explained, which I appreciate even more. Um, because there's no, no rhyme or reason, you know, either way. You can get away with it. It's a fucking, it's a an imaginary tale. But um, yeah, that's this is this is the fun stuff that that we get to do when we talk about tales like this. So oh, yeah. I, I love you got your guys' ideas and. Like, God damn it. I, I'm, well, looks like I'm going to have to start messaging DC all over again <laughs> so they can never answer me and ignore every query I make and then make plans to do exactly what it is I've been saying they should do and then cancel it at the last minute. I'm looking at you, 5G. <laughs> but anyway, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Yeah. Uh, it's been a success. Uh, everyone, once again, uh, my name is Powerful Brandon, a.k.a. Brandon Powers. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Brandon's Powers and Instagram at This Brandon Has Powers. If you want to come over and check out the Powers Combined Facebook group, our group of dorks that just, you know, get together to share info, uh, memes, laughs, good times to be had by all. Our number one rule there is don't be a jerk. If you violate that, you will be booted immediately. 
Um, aside from this podcast, you can find me uh, every week on the Dorkening Wednesday Night Podcast, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as well as every other week juxtaposed with this show, the Dork Night Podcast, with these two gentlemen as well, in which we discuss uh, all things Batman through all types of media. It's it's a it's a ripping good time. Uh, let's see, who are we going to go to? Uh, Justin. Aha! You can find me in the Epic Shells Facebook group, which is a group all for uh, Ninja Turtles. Everything's turtles all the time. You can find me on the Epic Tales from the Sewers podcast. You can find me on the Geek Life HQ podcast. And, of course, here on Comics Paradox and every other week, The Dork Knight. Okay. And uh, Leo. Yeah, just Google Leo Pond. You'll find a bunch of stuff. I'm not going to tell you what's true and what's not, but I run a little thing called the Dorkening Podcast Network. We got about 40 shows on a network. There's a ton of awesome people doing a ton of awesome stuff, including these gents here. So head on over to thedorkening.com, which you can find all the latest episodes there. And, uh, yeah, that's about it for me. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. 8 a.m. every Sunday, Comics Paradox and the Dork Night. Woohoo! Woohoo!